0: The holiday season, well, maybe for some of you, is winding down. Maybe you do have another Christmas today, I don't know. But, we come to the end of the Christmas story, or do we? And maybe, maybe you spend a lot of December thinking about the Christmas season and and what it means, or maybe you're like our household and the Christmas tree is up by November 1st. Anyone, Anyone do that? No? I guess we're just different. Um, This is a true story, by the way. But there's this sense of anticipation, right? We prepare, we wait, we decorate, we talk about our plans, and then Christmas Day comes and it goes. And for those of us who get really into the Christmas season, the anticipation of Christmas is actually a lot more exciting than the day of. Yeah, there you go. And maybe it's not just Christmas that builds up the anticipation in us. Maybe it's a vacation that you plan in a year advance. And you go on this vacation. It comes. It goes. And you look forward to the next one. Or maybe for you seniors in high school or college in here, maybe you're starting to feel a little bit of senioritis. Maybe you're ready to get out. Maybe you're ready for the next chapter. And there's that anticipation of something exciting or maybe maybe you're preparing for a child to come or a grandchild and this excitement of bringing new life into the world is something that is constantly on your mind it's something special and exciting and I know for us we were so excited and the anticipation of having Atticus was awesome it was something that we would talk about every day and We were like, man, we just cannot wait to meet him. And I remember, man, the gender reveal, creating a nursery space. Well, that was more of Amelia. But I did build a crib. So there's this excitement, and then March 15th hits, and he was born. And all of a sudden, and I'm going to get a little transparent here, I remember thinking in my head, all right, he's here. This is exciting, but then it came time to leave the hospital, and all the thoughts and questions rushed my mind, and I was kind of sitting there thinking, and I was like, oh, the nurses, they're, they're not going to come back to the house and <laughs> help us out? Okay. Um, and I was kind of like, uh, what do we do? And I remember preparing for him, and Amelia asked, what are you afraid of with him coming? And I said, uh, I don't know, keeping him alive? <laughs> I mean, how do you operate this thing? And this being the first kid on my family's side, um, I was super unaware. And things have changed since, so don't don't worry. It's good now. But I remember these moments where we put him in his crib for the first time, and Amelia, she was super patient with me, and we're three, four days into this. And I think I nearly gave her an anxiety attack, because all of a sudden these questions and thoughts were, again flooding my mind, and I had the baby monitor on my side, which is a terrible idea since I sleep through everything anyway. Uh, But I remember looking at it, and I was like, oh, I can't see him breathing. Is he going to be okay? Is he going to stop breathing? What about SIDS? And you can imagine why she almost had an anxiety attack. But she took the monitor, and the game changed forever. But I tell you this story because... The anticipation wore off. And now the questions of what do I do? do? What now? Kind of popped into my head. And and if we go back to the Christmas season, right? This whole idea of anticipation. There's this anticipation of the birth of Jesus and him coming to walk the earth and take on human flesh. And as Christians, we live in this post-anticipation because Jesus has already come He's walked this earth, and so for you and I, we celebrate the birth of Christ, but then we're left with this kind of sort of in-between time of, okay, what now? How should I react? And in our text today, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be jumping into a passage that directly follows the birth of Christ. And I believe that it can illuminate things for us today, and and honestly, how we should live post-Christ's birth or how we wait well as we look forward to Jesus returning. So if you have your Bibles, turn, turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. In verse 22 it says, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to be presented to the Lord as it is written, in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So let's stop here for a second, right? So Jesus is here. He's the main character of the story. And so what do, what do we know about Jesus? Jesus. It says that Jesus was purified and he was consecrated before the Lord, which seems funny because, right, this is the Son of God. Why, why does this need to be something that he does? Because it showed that Jesus belonged to the Jewish heritage. More importantly, the line of David and Abraham. Abraham. And so he had to do this because it had to be fulfilled, right? The prophets were speaking, this guy, Jesus, he's coming. He's coming from the root of David, from the line of Abraham. He's coming. And so this is fulfilling what people have already spoken. And so Jesus, this is Jesus of Nazareth, who was a Jew. And so his family line matters, right? And, and how many of you know that where you come from has a little bit of significance. Your name matters, maybe depending, and there's a notion of, oh, yeah, yeah, we know you. We know your family. We know your dad. We know your grandparents, your great-grandparents. There's this great positive reputation. Or we don't know you, or we do, and we're still uh, holding on to things from four generations ago. And I remember uh one of my buddies growing up, he would say, Well, dude, they're never they're never gonna start me on the football field. No chance. I don't have a last name, there's no one that's gone before me. And that's kind of true of the nature of how it went. And I remember sitting there and I was like, Well, I kind of have it made for me. I have two brothers that went ahead. They played really well, the coaches knew them, so they thought, Oh yeah. He must be like his brothers. Yeah, he's good. And, and so my buddy, he had a point. And the point of all this, to go back to the story, is Jesus carried a reputation in a way. And with all this talk of the coming of the Messiah, people were constantly probably thinking, all right, where's this guy at? Where's this baby? Where's the Messiah? Where's he going to be? Let's go see if it was him because we know he comes from this legendary line of people, right? Like you got David, who was an awesome king, and then you got Solomon, who was rolling in some dough. And then you've got, oh, come on, Abraham, right? Father of many nations. How could we forget that guy? And so there was a reputation, but at one point or another, all these dudes screwed up. So again, why is this mention, why is this ceremony important? Because people like you and I, needed to recognize that Jesus comes from a family of sinners and broken people, right? Abraham, right? Forced God's hand, and there came Ishmael, who was not the promised son of Israel. And then David, a murderer and Mr. Steelio girl. And then Solomon, more money, more problems, Right? And, you know, not to mention that he had 700 wives and 300 mistresses. Dude had more problems than one can imagine. And then Rahab, who's also mentioned in the line of Jesus, who was a former prostitute. So Jesus came definitely from an important line of people, right? But he also came from broken people. So that he could begin this story of redemption through all mankind, which had been separated from God through sin. Jesus couldn't come from a sinless line of people. Otherwise, our redemption would never be fully realized. And from Adam came sin, which was then passed on to every other human being. And Jesus had to redeem the sin of all mankind. That's why this is important. And so I ask you, do you ever sense or have this notion that, man, I come from a broken family? If so, you're in good company, because the extended family of Jesus was a mess. Let's keep going. Verse 25 says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. So now, we're introduced to this guy named Simeon. And why is he important to the story? As it said, Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And we get this waiting language once again here. And there's this sense and this anticipation, right? And Simeon, he's waiting for the Lord to come. He's waiting. He can't wait. He's so excited. He's heard stories and prophecies that the Messiah is coming. And all of his attention is focused on meeting King Jesus. And also the word consolation, right? It means comfort and joy that King Jesus would be bringing. And I think in our world today, right? Last week, we just celebrated the birth of Christ. But then we go forward... With this reality that Christ was born, he lived, he died, and rose to new life. However, instead of Jesus coming for the first time, we're waiting for him to come back again. And So this language of consolation, it's pretty relevant today. Like, Jesus, come. But when is he coming back? I mean, Jesus, do you see the war in Israel? Jesus, do you see the injustice and hatred between people do you see the utter disregard for the absolute truth in Christ there's a sense and I'm sure some of you have said this come quickly Lord Jesus and so while this is talking about right two different moments of time this idea of the consolation of Israel that Simeon was looking forward to is something that we anticipate for ourselves today and so as we continue, we also get this understanding that Simeon was filled with the Spirit of God. Which means that he's significant into this story. Because at this moment in time, the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out on all people. And so the Spirit of God in the Old Testament would come upon people, but would not dwell within somebody until Christ's death and resurrection had come to fruition. And so, Simeon's important. Spirit of God's around him, and he's showing us something about waiting. And so upon Simeon's meeting with Jesus, God had kept true to the promise that Simeon would see the Lord before he died. What a special moment that he can have the peace and the assurance that he has seen and witnessed the Messiah. And again, in our days, I know many of us would love for this to come to fruition. Some of us are like, man, if my eyes could just physically see you, Lord, I would know that no matter what happens in this world, I would have peace. I could get through tough times if I could just physically see you. And so Simeon gets this blessing that he has seen the living God. Not only that, he makes some pretty important statements that are helpful for us today. He says that God has prepared salvation through Christ for who? All the nations. Essentially, God has made a way when there was no way, even though God doesn't even necessarily need us, he still wants us, and he has accomplished this through Jesus. And secondly, right? salvation, who's it for? Not just the Jewish people even though the Jewish people thought, well, it's only for us. Jesus also came for the Gentiles, which are every single person in this place. And sometimes, just like the Jews, we probably look at others and think, well, ain't no way. Salvation is for that person. Can you believe him? No way. But Jesus came for all, did he not? Amen. Not just a certain group of people, but also know Israel at the same time that this king is the glory of your people. He is one of your own, but he has come for all. No more division, no more barriers. Jesus came for all. But that's not the end of the story. If you go back to verse 34, it says, "Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to, to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Some will either choose to follow Jesus, and some will stand rejected or opposed to him, as it says in verses 34 and 35. And as I was thinking about this a couple months ago, I remember asking some of our students, what is something you're fearful of? And some of them were like, oh yeah, you know, clowns and (laughs) turning off the lights, especially when you have to run up the basement after, right? You don't know what's down there. That one, I feel that one. But then one of them said something a little bit more serious. And they said, being rejected by Jesus. And I was like, oh, oh, that that is tough. But that's the reality if we decide to go our own way. And this text is saying, Jesus will cause a rise and a fall in Israel. Some will choose Jesus, others will reject him. But the good news is that, that Jesus came for our hearts to expose what needs to get out of there. And I have a question. Any of you have, like, these parts of your house that are, like, a ton of junk is just backed up in this room and this room and that room? Well, in our house, we've got tons of rooms like this that are built for storage, and... Uh, which is perfect because, you know, when we moved there nine months ago, I realized as we were getting stuff out of the house, I realized we had more junk than I even knew we had. And I'm going to be honest, there were times when we were moving stuff out and I was like, "Mm, let's burn this, let's get this out of here, I don't like it. Um, And Amelia's like, no, no, we'll use it. I was like, when? (laughs) This is the first time I've seen it in the two years that we lived over there. We're not going to use it. So we kept the junk, and I quickly realized (laughs) that it was going to fill up the rooms pretty fast. And I'm a little bit OCD sometimes, so I like to reorganize all that stuff, uh, just kind of putting it back there instead of getting rid of it. And so I moved it, and I shoved it tighter into the closet. And one day I was like, hey, I kind of cleaned up the closet. Look, it's a little less cluttered. And she's like, you can't just keep shoving stuff back there. It's not going to work. And she was right. So the, long <laughs> the, the point of this long story is that sometimes we think we're doing some good by rearranging the clutter in our own hearts, right? The storage closet, right? Our own hearts. But in fact, we're just pushing it further back and creating more of a mess than actually letting Jesus evict some of the things that honestly just don't need to be there. And that storage room, right, could be a place for things that are only necessary. And it's the same for our hearts. Maybe if we stop cluttering it with useless junk, or junk that creates a mess, and if we'd allow Jesus to clean some of those areas up in our heart, we feel a lot better and a lot less congested. And so this closing verse, it offers some encouragement to us, right? It says that the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. And so we know that this baby who was that God's people had long awaited, this Messiah who was in the line of David, who came not for the destruction for those who oppose God's people, but for the hearts of all mankind. This child is the Son of God, who has been bestowed strength, wisdom, and the grace of God. And this is the anointed one of Israel, right? This is Him. This is Jesus. This is the Messiah. We don't have to look elsewhere. He has come, and He has risen, right? And all this is a great reminder, right, to who Jesus is. But you and I also live in this in-between of, okay, he's come, he's risen, what do we do? What do we do till he comes again? Because we're in a bit of a waiting period, aren't we? This text says Simeon and Anna, man, they waited well for Christ to come. Even though life circumstances weren't always great. And so just as they responded in the waiting through faithfulness and trust in God... You and I have a couple different ways that we can wait. We can hide and disconnect ourselves from the world. Essentially, we can run from the people of this world, disassociate from community, and live our Christ-like life privately. Essentially, we can be hermits, right? And decide, well, you know, the world is kind of too dark of a place anyway. I'm just going to do my thing over here. We can also grumble and complain about the way things are. We can look at this world and say, well, man, this place has gone to the pits. We are part of the world, but instead of proclaiming the hope we have in Jesus, we can complain. And when we complain, maybe we talk, oh, man, those Gen Z, those Gen Alpha, ugh, they're terrible, we're doomed, we're in trouble... But, Jesus is still in control. And we can get on our high horse, we can say different things, and people might get sick and tired of us doing that, or we can also begin to look a lot like the world and less like Jesus. On the other side of it, right, we can truly embody like, man, I'm going to live in the world but at one point or another, somebody looks at you and they're like, you're, you're actually a Christian? I, I don't see it. You're not walking like Christ. You're not living this out. And so others see us, they're like, oh yeah, you're in the world, but you don't look like a follower of Jesus. That's another way we could go about it. Or, we can live in a world, but not become it. We can proclaim the gospel to others until Jesus returns. This is the call that all of us have until Christ returns. That even as we look at the world and it looks like a complete dumpster fire, we have the hope that Jesus is still king and that he has the final say. And while we're not perfect, we can spend our days reaching as many people for Christ as we can before He returns. Now I realize that a lot of us, you know where it says, go to the ends of the earth and proclaim His name. I realize not all of us are going to go half across the world, and that's fine. But, can you as a follower of Christ share Christ in your immediate community? Yes, you can. You can start in the home. When you're at home, Read a Bible story to your kids at night. Spend time talking around the table about things that you're thankful for, that God has done in your life. Or even pray at home with your family and teach your kids how to pray so that one day they're not afraid to pray as they get older, right? Prayer is our line of communication to God. This is an important and impactful way that you can reach your family, right? Our family is our first ministry. And if we're going to win this fight, we've got to go to the war room of prayer with the Lord. You can do it in the workplace. This is an awesome place to start. And people, they'll ask, you can ask, oh man, how are you? How can I pray for you? Can you tell me about your life? And more often than not, I don't know about you guys, but if you've gone up to somebody, maybe they're not a believer, you ask, hey, can, is there something I can pray for you about? More often than not, they'll say, Yeah, yeah, pray for me. Because we all live in this world, right? It's a mess, it's hectic. And so people are always looking towards something or somebody to turn to. Let that be Christ they want to turn to. You can also share a meal with somebody, find somebody you don't know that well, pull them aside. Maybe it's somebody in your family you don't know that well. Maybe it's a coworker. Whoever that person is, share a meal with them. Ask them about their life. Share your life story. Share your testimony and how Jesus has worked in your life. Or just share a scripture with them. Walk them through it. Walk them through the Bible. It could be something simple as that, but it could be incredibly impactful. And so as we close, every New Year's we go in, right, with this idea of, well, I'm going to do better, I'm going to work harder, I'm going to hit my goals. But you and I, if we're honest, the only way we're going to do any bit of good in our lives going into 2024 is if we walk in step with Jesus Christ. This season, right, this season of Advent has been all about Jesus' birth, But what if when the New Year starts, we don't lose sight of what Jesus has done for for you and I? What if we continue to live with Christ at the center of our lives? Not just when the Christmas season's around, or not just when Easter's around, but what if we live daily for Christ, and we begin to abide in Him? What difference would that make? To abide in Christ and And to realize, hey, we're not the main character of the story. It's Jesus. And if I'm honest, the minute you realize you're not the main character in the story, and that Jesus is, you're going to feel a lot less stressed out. It's not all on you. Jesus has done the hard work. Jesus has put the load on his shoulders. And so as you reflect on the new year and make your New Year's resolutions, think about what Jesus might want to begin in you and what Jesus might want to evict within your own heart. That'll make the difference. Not starting a new diet, not completely cutting yourself off from all technology, but allowing Jesus to redeem and to restore your heart. So as you begin the new year, if if we have Jesus, guys, no matter what 2024 brings, you and I can walk through it victorious, good or bad, because Jesus has the final say, doesn't he? Guys, let's pray. Lord, uh, I know that 2023, as it wraps up, for some, it's been amazing. It's been life-giving. It's been filled with so many good things. But I know for others... 2023 has only been a reminder of loss, of disappointment, of heartache, of pain, of sickness. And so, Lord, as we go into another year, God, let us go in with the hope that that you're still king, that you, you came for us, Jesus, that you went up on that cross, that you didn't stay there, you rose to new life, and that you are coming again. That is a promise and not an